Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the OAME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro, and this is the podcast where we talk to speakers from the most recent OAME conference as a preview to their upcoming webinars. As you might expect, this year's season will be a little bit different since we didn't actually have a face-to-face conference. We did, however, have a successful virtual conference, and this podcast and the monthly webinars will feature sessions that were planned for the face-to-face conference, but didn't occur at the virtual one. Hope that makes sense. And just as a reminder, that OME members can see all of the videos from the virtual conference, past OME talks, webinars, and previous OME conferences are they're all available on the members-only section of the OME website. So what we do here is run a monthly webinar. It's typically on the second Wednesday of the month. And here on the podcast, we give a preview of that webinar. This season, we're going to be hearing from Peter Taylor and Chris Sertam in November, Ian Vandenberg in December, Tara Flynn and Shelley Yearly in January, and we'll finish off with Ruthie Sloan in February. But to start off, this month we're talking to longtime OME presenter Ron Lancaster. He's going to be doing a session on shared problem solving activity, and we're going to find out about that right now. So let's just get to it. Ron, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I, uh, I feel fortunate to be okay during these difficult times. COVID-19 has been more of an inconvenience for me, and I, I'm lucky. That's really good to hear. I feel grateful to have you on the podcast, even at distance. It's good to hear. It's good to hear from you. So, uh, and I've been uh, hoping to get you on the podcast for a while, and you're going to be doing a webinar for us. But Ron, first, I want to talk a little bit about you and tell us a little bit about your math journey. Yeah, I I drifted into teaching. I started my teaching career in 1977 uh, in Hamilton, taught for a couple of years, and then I uh, moved to uh, teaching in Oakville. So I was at Oakville Trafalgar for a number of years. And uh, that's really where I felt that I, I learned how to teach. I was surrounded by great administrators and great colleagues who helped make me a better teacher. I was also in Mississauga for a year at Applewood Heights. Uh, I was acting head of math there. Uh, and then I was at uh, St. Mildred's Lightbourne School in Oakville. was there for seven years. An amazing time because I taught middle and high school. So that was a remarkable time of growth for me. And um, then I worked for six years of my own as an educational consultant and just worked with you know teachers and organizations around the world. Uh, and then I got hired at OASE in 2004. And I got hired very fortunate into a, a tenure stream position. I don't have a PhD. So this was quite unusual. And I managed to get tenure and ended up being an associate professor. And that's where I'm at now. So I work with the next generation of teachers. Excellent. And and I, I don't want to disparage the academia, but it, it is nice to hear that, uh, you know, you are teaching teachers and you have a lot of experience as a teacher. So that's that's really very, very advantageous for, for your students. Well, Dave, I think it's also really important to me. I mean, I, I'm i not an expert on educational research. Uh, there are people that I work with who have great backgrounds in that, and, and that's one of the gifts they give to their students. But I think for me, what they're getting from me is somebody with, you know, many, many years of classroom experience and work with teachers and work with students. And, and that's what they get from me. Now, ever since I started going to the OME conference, I think I've seen you present there. I don't know if you've ever missed an OME, but I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how 
you first uh, got involved with OME? Well, you know, Dave, I do. Again, I feel fortunate. I, I really feel very lucky in so many ways because I've now uh, been a presenter at uh, 38 consecutive OEME conferences. I think it's 38. Uh, there are, I think, a few people who have maybe presented uh, more times than I have, but I do feel lucky because it means that I've been part of some amazing PD for a really long time. And eventually, um, either somebody asked me or I decided to get professionally involved, don't remember, but I um, you know, got elected to council and uh, was part of the OME council and worked with uh, a number of amazing people, you know, who really helped me uh, become better at being part of meetings and working with people. And then eventually in the mid-90s, I think it was around 1993-94, I was elected to be president of OME. And uh, again, that was a period of growth as well. But along the way, I also wrote some columns for uh, the OME Gazette. There was a column a long time ago that was all about problem solving. And then there was another one called uh, Mathematics in the World Around Us. So it was making connections between mathematics and generally the media. Then there was photo math. That column was all about making connections to mathematics and the world around us through photographs. And now there's another column that's called mathematical snapshots. You know, that's still about the photographs. But those articles with the and with the OME were really important because they became columns that I wrote for the NCTM. I created two columns for the NCTM called Media Clips and the Mathematical Lens. And both those columns had their origins in the OME Gazette. So I feel fortunate to have you know, been involved with OME for a long time through some work on council and uh, through some work as a writer you know, for the journal. And, and I just recommend this to everybody to you know, find some way of getting professionally involved you know, with something, but particularly with the OME because it's an important organization and it, it works hard for teachers all over the province. And uh, you say that you feel fortunate to be involved with this. And I have to say that we've been fortunate to have you involved. And I have to agree wholeheartedly that uh, in terms of my own professional journey, the involvement that I've had with OME in the last almost 20 years uh, which is not my entire teaching career. I, I, I did not. I did not sort of start my teaching career uh, being involved with OME. But the growth that that uh, I've encountered, uh, being first, uh, you know, just going to the conference and then becoming a speaker and then becoming involved with the the actual organization, uh, you know, that has been some of the best growth that I've I've had, and uh, I've been very fortunate to to be a part of that and, and I would uh, wholeheartedly agree that uh, that's definitely something people should look into and I, I'm glad that you mentioned your involvement with NCTM because I, I know that you uh, are quite involved with NCTM uh, almost maybe maybe sometimes it seems more than OME lately and I know that we are going to have you on October 14th for our webinar for uh, the uh, the talk that we're we're sort of talking about today, but on the fifteenth, you are actually going to be doing a webinar for NCTM as part of their one hundred days of PD, and you are day one hundred. I am, and and that's good. I'm actually excited about that, Dave, because the um, this this conference was originally going to be in Chicago, right? And it was kind of you know the hundredth celebration, hundredth year celebration, the centennial celebration of the NCTM. 
The talk that I proposed doing was basically titled uh, 100 Photographs from Cities that Have Hosted an NCTM Conference Along with 100 Math Questions. And that's basically what I'm going to be doing on October 15th. You know, I'm taking a lot of photographs that I've taken from different NCTM conferences, and I'll use those as the basis of mathematical questions, you know, of inquiry and making connections between mathematics and the world around us. I've actually spoke now at uh, 60 NCTM conferences, so between the regionals and the annuals. And I think about that, and I, I wonder... Uh, what's going to happen to the next generation of teachers? Because I'm I'm really fortunate because those 60 conferences I have mean that I've attended you know great workshops and I've learned lots of things. I've connected to people, but you know for teachers who don't have permission to go to conferences, aren't able to go, you know where where will their PD be coming from? So I do feel lucky, but and with the NCTM I've also written those columns and you know I suppose it's probably I've either authored or edited over, I guess, 150 columns for them. The The Mathematical Lens was one that ran for many, many years. I was involved with that from the beginning, 2004 to 2019. And um, we had an amazing celebration for that column. It was a team of people. I, I wasn't the only person involved in it. But uh, when we reached the 100 mark, so we had 100 columns, my co-editor and I, she's from New York City, Bridget Bentley, I went to New York City with her, and we did a 100-block walk for mathematics. And that became part of our columns. We had a couple of columns, and we wrote around that. But we started at the corner of First Avenue and First Street, and we walked all the way up to 101st Street. And it was remarkable. We actually had a few problems with the original walk and doing it. And so we did parts of it again. And I ended up doing it about three or four more times, you know, after that. I've I've had some monumental walks in cities. And uh, in New York City, I've gotten from basically First Street uh, all the way up to like 245th Street or something in Manhattan. Just these incredibly long walks of taking pictures and getting exercise. So basically what I'm getting from all this is like you're really kind of like a slacker. I am. Uh, and again, you know, if, if, if you... I know that, you know, the workshops that I've been to that you've done, they've always really, really intrigued me. And I, I really like the idea that almost everyone that I've been to, they've started out with something relatively low floor and almost always ended with something really high-end mathematics, all starting with the same problem. And so I'm intrigued, and maybe you can you can dispute me on that, but I'm intrigued when the title of the, the webinar that you're going to do for us is a shared problem-solving activity. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and, and just the, the, the general idea of, you know, how you organize yourself when you're, you're going to be doing a talk like this. Well, you know, just about the nature of my talks, I thank you for saying that about how my talks tend to be like a single problem you know, that, that spans grade levels and that's accessible and goes high. Um, some of this has to do with the accidental happening that I ended up teaching at St. Mildred's in Oakville. And, uh, you know, I ended up being there for seven years, as I mentioned. And on a daily basis, I was teaching grades seven and eight in the mornings, and I was teaching high school in the afternoon. And early on in my years there, when, you know, a grade seven student would ask me, 
why, you know, why are we learning this? Uh, how is the Pythagorean theorem used or that? I started to think to myself, you know, I just did this problem with my calculus class yesterday or last week that involved the Pythagorean theorem. Maybe it was a, a max-min problem. And, you know, why can't my grade sevens do that problem? You know, why can't I adapt the problem and, you know, do something with them? And so a lot of this started to happen there where, you know, one problem got, you know, used again and again and again. And it wasn't that I was being lazy, but I was just trying to really challenge myself to, um, you know, come up uh, with ways of using a problem in many grade levels and, you know, with many different ways of solving the problem. And it also made it more interesting for me to, you know, be challenged to do that. But that's where a lot of this happened. And uh, the one that I'm going to speak about in the webinar is very much like that. So it's it's just going to involve some basic mathematics. You're going to see that there's going to be, you know, factoring numbers. Uh, there's going to be prime numbers. There's going to be fractions. Uh, we're going to be adding fractions. Um, you know, it's like nothing complicated. So it's going to be very accessible. But there's parts of this that are just going to really just go. I mean, it's going to really, you know, get into a lot of different areas for for kids who, you know, maybe want to be challenged or, you know, are curious about mathematics. So that's what we'll be doing uh, during the webinar. Now, I I don't want to give away the problem that you're going to be talking about because we do want people to come to the webinar. But I will tell you that that uh, we, we kind of expect this to be an audience participation webinar. We want people to do math. Oh, absolutely. So uh, what I would like people to do is to have something to write with, uh, some paper. Um, I mean, they can use their tablet if they want to do that, but, but they should have something that they can use to work on because uh, I'll assign a task. Um, it's actually going to be a task that, you know, there's a lot of variation in the tax task, and I'll make suggestions about this. So uh, it'll be the same task, but using different numbers. So I'll have people do that for, a, you know, a little period of time, and then we'll all come back together and, uh, and we'll share the results and, uh, and we'll just see what happens. And uh, this task has something uh, unusual that happens. There's something curious uh, that happens. Would be doing it otherwise. And, and that will unfold as we get into this. But there's something really cool that happens along the way. And I'm really looking forward to that. But I'm wondering if if maybe we can try uh, maybe a smaller, shorter task here on the podcast that might be a little bit of a teaser for the, not the same problem, but this the, sort of the type of kind of surprise or, or curiousness that we might see when we do the webinar. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm just kind of thinking here of what, you know, hey, you know, I've got an idea because I actually just did this with my teacher candidates this week in my two classes at OISE. So I have an iTeachable class and my IS math class. And, and let's do something that I did with them. So um, I think I asked you when we started, if and I can't remember what you said, but do you have a pair of dice uh, somewhere around you? Uh, I mean, you're a, a math teacher that doesn't have dice at the ready. Okay, Come on. good. Give me some. Give me some okay. right here. I, I got some okay, dice good. here. So, what, well, how many sides do you want? Uh, just a regular <laughs> six-sided die. Yeah. Okay. All and right. two of them. So you need a, a pair of dice. So you know what's actually really interesting, David, is that at, at this point in this uh, podcast, 
what teachers could do is they could actually press pause and that they could go get a yep. pair of dice and then come back to the podcast and then they can follow along uh, like you're going to, you know, with me. That's right. Okay. It's like you've been doing podcasting uh, your whole life, Ron. That's like, those are perfect instructions. Oh, well, then that's great. Okay. Thank you. So, uh, so here's the idea. So what I'd like the listeners to do, you know, when they, yeah, they're going to press pause and all that stuff, but when they have their dice, and what I'd like you to do is to take your pair of dice and roll them. Okay. I got them. Okay. So I don't know what you've rolled. Okay. I mean, I do have a background in magic, but I'm not that good <laughs> that I can, you know, kind of figure out, you know, what you rolled. So uh, are you happy with that roll? Because you can roll again if you would like. Um, I, yeah, sure. They, okay. they look like two perfectly fine numbers. Good. So you're like a happy guy then. Okay. Sure. So good. So um, let's, let's just call the, the die on your left side. Uh, we'll just give it a name. We'll call it A. Okay. And um, the die on your right side, we'll call it B. Got it. So what I'd like you to do is to take the top two numbers and multiply those together. So, oh, the, on the top of the dice, the the, the numbers yes. that are showing. I got you. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I should have been more clear. So yep. the numbers that are showing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I got it. So the, the top numbers or the numbers that are showing. Right. Okay. So you've taken the top number of A yep. and you've multiplied it by the top number of B. Got it. So if you could now take the numbers that are not showing, in other words, the bottom number of A and the bottom number of B and multiply those together. Right. So these are the numbers that are actually sitting on the surface. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I got it. So now you have two products. And um, so now if you could take the top number of A yep. and multiply it by the bottom number of B. Okay. So it's the number that's showing on A times the number that you can't see in B. Okay. Unless you pick it up and look nope, at it. I got it. Now take the bottom number of A and multiply it by the top number of B. Okay. And so you have four products. And, you know, unfortunately, David, you can't see me here. We don't have the screen put on. You're going to have to trust me on this. Uh, I've actually made a prediction about something. And in fact, maybe what I'll do is I'll tell you the prediction before you tell me your answer. Oh, okay. Um, and, and again, I mean, you know, the audience does know, maybe you and I prearranged this, but, you know, I think we can, we can at least tell them we have it. So, so you have four products. Yep. And, you know, there's a number of things that you could do with those four products. You could multiply them together. That would be an interesting thing to do. So what teachers could do is they could have their students, everybody, you know, rolls a pair of dice and the students do this. They all get their four products and they multiply those four products together. So that's what a classroom teacher could do. And then they could collect all that information, maybe put it up on chart paper in a Google spreadsheet or in a chat room in Zoom, and they could look at that data. So that's one thing that we could do with those four products. But uh, what I'm going to have you do is something else. I'd like you to add those four products together. 
And I made a prediction about that. Okay. Okay, I got it. Okay. So my prediction says that you now have 49 as your sum. Is that what you got? That is what I got. So my my dice rolls were six and three. And so the bottoms were one and four. So I had six times three is 18. One times four is four. Six times four is 24. One times three is three. And when you add them up, it is 49. Beautiful. So, you know, if a teacher's doing this in a classroom, like maybe if it's in an in-person classroom, every student in the room is going to have 49. Uh, so it might not be done as a prediction magic trick. It's just as this, like, come on. Like, everybody has 49. How can that be? By the way, if you do the product example, uh, everybody is going to get all kinds of different products. So it doesn't work the same as the sum does. Right. So the sum is invariant. It doesn't depend on the role. The product, it's going to be all over the map. There's interesting questions you can ask with the product thing. So if you if you had told me the product of your four products, could I tell you what you rolled? That's actually a really nice question. Mm. Um, another question could be, what roles are possible? So, you know, the 36 different roles of the dice, what products of the four products can you get? But that's another, you know, example. So with this someone, you know, what, what would happen is, you know, students would notice that it's a big word these days. They would notice that everybody has 49. And it's an invitation to wonder and ask questions. So, Dave, what are you wondering about? So, I have to think, like when I when I see this, I have to think that there has to be some sort of uh, algebraic way to do the general roll roll of two dice and come up with the number forty nine. Beautiful, uh, and in a grade seven and eight classroom, the students could simply list all the possible ways of rolling the dice and work out the sum and see that it's always forty nine. That would also be a proof, right? Yeah, that's like the brute force, the brute force method, and it, which is fine. Absolutely, and really, and today, you know, we're trying to value, um, you know, a lot of different ways of doing something. So I don't, I don't, I don't know whether I'd be willing to say that, you know, doing it the brute force way is kind of not as good as the algebraic way. You know, there, that that's how the student, you know, thought it through at their level, and that has value. Um, by the way, at the grade seven and eight level, it does invite a student to ask, is there a better way of doing this uh, with that? So with this podcast, what teachers might want to do is press pause, stop the podcast, and go try to figure it out for themselves, because you and I will divulge how this, you know, the reason behind it, like why this works. Wait, so, it's not magic. Is that that's what you're saying? No, unfortunately, it's not. Yeah. So, I, you know, I mean, other things are magic, but this wasn't. So, yeah. So, um, you know, when I did this this week with my students, I put them into chat rooms on Zoom and they wrestled with why this worked. You know, there, uh, there were a lot of different things that happened. You know, some of the students started to look at the dice and they were looking at the dice and they noticed that, you know, if you look at at you know a number on the die, if you look at a face, uh, and you look at the face on the opposite side, 
there's always an odd number on one side and an even number on the other side. So they were noticing things like that. Like if you see five, the opposite side, the bottom side will be a two. So odd and even. So they were noticing things like that. Other students noticed that the numbers add up to seven. So on a standard die, if you look at any number on a face and look at the number on the opposite face, they add up to seven. So three and four will go together, one and six, and two and five. And so they noticed that. And, uh, you know, when I spoke to some of them, I, you know, I said, so, you know, it's great you've noticed this. And, you know, why do you think this is important? You know, I was trying to stay away from saying, oh, great, you know, now you've got it. But, you know, why do you think this is important? And how will that help you uh, figure out why this works? And eventually there were people who started to say, you know, I could just call the number that's on top of die A, the number you can see, why don't I just call that P? And the number that I can see on die B, call it Q. And that means that the bottom number of A, what would it be, David? So if the top number of A is Q, is P, pardon me, it's P, what's the bottom number? So the bottom number... Well, the top and the bottom number are always going to have a sum of seven. Absolutely. So if the top is P, the bottom is? Seven minus P. Beautiful. And how about for Q, for, for die B? Seven minus Q, yeah. Beautiful. So there's your algebraic proof, right? So we could do the top two numbers and get PQ. We could do the bottom two numbers and get 7 minus P times 7 minus Q. And we could do the top of A times the bottom of B. Uh, that's P times 7 minus Q. And then we could do the bottom of A times the, the top of B. And that's uh, 7 minus P times Q. And, you know, if you expand it all, it all out uh, using, you know, FOIL and using the distributor property, you will get 49. Yeah, invariably, it all cancels out. It does. What a beautiful thing to do for a teacher in high school uh, at the start of uh, teaching a chapter in algebra. And and I think, you know, this is the idea behind what people will see, not this problem per se, but the people see in the webinar is, is another sort of shared problem that has some mathematics that goes on and some kind of curious result. Absolutely, David. And, you know, in this one here, there's different entry points. You can you know, prove it by doing it by all the cases. You can prove it algebraically. And the high ceiling part of this is to ask students uh, what happens with three dice or four dice or five dice. Because listeners might not right now be thinking, oh, yeah, 49 is seven times seven. So I wonder if you do this with three dice, if it'll be, you know, seven cubed. 243. So, uh, you know, in that case, you'll have three dice, A, B, C, and you'll do the product of the top numbers, the product of the bottom numbers, um, take the top of A and B times the bottom of C and so on. But uh, algebraically, it's quite a complicated expression. It would be a little and beastly. Yeah. <laughs> it's beastly, but that invites us to wonder, maybe I should use computer algebra software. Maybe I should use TI Inspire. Maybe I could use Wolfram Alpha, you know, to do this. 
and uh, and see what it gives us. So that I think a case could be made that we'd want to use uh, computer algebra software at that stage, you know, to prove it and see what happens. I won't tell the listeners whether you do get seven cubed all the time or not. They can work that out. But yes, David, on uh, the webinar, I'll have another problem, but it'll have elements like this, uh, accessible, different ways of doing it, lots of observations about things. And then, you know, there'll be a high ceiling part of this as well. Beautiful. So thanks a lot, Ron, for talking with us today. That's the first time we've really gone through a problem like that here on the podcast. And it's a great uh, sneak preview to the kind of thing that we'll see when you do your webinar, which is on uh, October 14th at 8 p.m. That's going to be our first one of this season. And uh, I'm going to remind our listeners that you will be also on the NCTM's uh, webinar list for the next night of uh, their their 100 nights of PD, uh, and you're doing the 100th night. And I, I, you know, you mentioned it, but I don't know how you're going to fit 100 problems and 100 pictures into one single webinar. But I guess I'll have to wait and see. Uh, and and our listeners should know that all those NCTM uh, webinars they are free uh, for everyone. Uh, so. That is also great. So thanks again, Ron. I want to thank you again for coming out. And we will uh, talk to you in a few weeks uh, at the actual webinar. Fantastic, David. Thank you for letting me do this. Well, that was Ron Lancaster. And as mentioned, he's going to be presenting his webinar on a shared problem-solving activity on Wednesday, October 14th. Now, normally the webinars are for members only. But for our first session with Ron, we will be opening up to the general public. You can register at the MCIS website, but space is limited. For all the links for the registration and for Ron's NCTM talk, check the description of the podcast or the website. Next month, we'll talk to Peter Taylor and Chris Sertan, so look forward to that dropping on November 1st. But until then, stay safe.